show the bill passes. Locked and loaded. This piece of policy is a continuation of the legacy of school safety that Florida prioritizes. When this bill passes, however careful, however well-intended, people are going to die. The bill that makes concealed carry permit-free is headed to the governor. We should do everything in our power to make us safer. That's more important. This bill attempts to return the God-given rights of self-defense. The House advances sex ed restrictions. We do this to get schools focused on exactly what it is that they should do. We are not just going to stand for it. They're going to hear us. New plans for books, body parts, and pronouns. Uprising and outpouring. It's not a protest. It's just a very, a very large debate. Israelis challenge their government, and South Florida feels the effect. The big news of the week from all the angles, all live this week in South Florida. Good morning, I'm Glenna Milberg. A lot on the plate today for us, and we begin with the events riveting the nation surrounding the indictment of former President Donald Trump that this morning is very much a South Florida story. The former president readies to face an historic arraignment in New York on Tuesday. There is his plane on the tarmac readying to take the former president to New York City. But at home at Mar-a-Lago, where people, supporters, have been converging all week to rally around him, and they plan to turn out again today. Local 10's Trent Kelly is there this morning for us as Mr. Trump readies to travel to his original home state to face charges. Good morning, Trent. Good morning there, Glenna. That's right, the former president waking up here at his Mar-a-Lago estate, hunkering down with legal advisors with just two days to go now before that arraignment in New York City. News of this indictment not stopping his backers from coming out here to show their support. Among them, we are hearing now from Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who spoke out yesterday about these charges. Small groups continuing to gather near the Palm Beach estate of former President Donald Trump on Saturday, days after his historic indictment in a New York City court. They're not going after Donald Trump because he's a criminal. They're going after Donald Trump because he is screwing up business as usual. Most Republicans rushing to defend the former president, including potential 2024 rival Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who had this to say about the Manhattan District Attorney. Now he turns around purely for political purposes and indicts a former president on misdemeanor offenses that they're straining to try to convert into felonies. That is when you know that the law has been weaponized for political purposes. Trump expected to fly to New York City tomorrow ahead of his arraignment on Tuesday. The whole issue with the indictment is just another stop in in them trying to intimidate and discourage the whole movement. Outside Mar-a-Lago, Trump supporters vowing to vote for the former president, even as he faces criminal charges. We got to get him back in office. If he doesn't end up in office, the United States is done. And if uh, President Trump sees this interview, I want him to know that we respect him, we love him. 
And so far, things have been pretty quiet here this morning, although we are hearing that Trump supporters should be holding another rally later this afternoon around 2 p.m. We're also getting word today that the former president himself will be addressing uh, the nation here from his Mar-a-Lago estate on Tuesday night. That's following his arraignment in New York City. For now, that is the latest live from Palm Beach. I'm Trent Kelly. Glenna, back over to you. Trent, thanks so much for that. The biggest state news of the week are the biggest bills speeding through session. Some of the most controversial are about to change Florida law, and we are on them today from all angles. And we begin with the bill called Public Safety. You know it as permitless carry. It's now on the way to the governor to sign, and he has said a few things that sound just like he's going to do that this week. Last stop was the Senate floor where hours of debate and strong emotions did nothing to move the needle on a Republican supermajority. So today we talk about the practical effects of what's to come with that and more with two lawmakers in the thick of it. Senator Jason Pizzo is a Democrat repping Northeast Miami-Dade and Broward's communities. State Rep Alex Andrade is a Republican joining us from Pensacola and the Panhandle communities he represents. Gentlemen, it is great to see you both. Thanks so much for being here. Good morning, Glenna. Good morning. Uh, I was about to say Congressman Andrade. <laughs> so I know, um, I know when we do this and you can't see each other and you can't see us, I know it's a little, a little tense for a conversation, but you two are both so good at that. And I, um, and I really appreciate that you are here with us to do that. Um, Senate, uh, Representative Andrade, can I call you Alex? Because Jason and I see each other all the time. So let's just make it first name basis if it's okay. And we both have little Jillies. I, I read that yesterday. You have a little Jilly too. Mine's a big yeah. Jilly now though. So let us um, let me start with you. Is there any doubt in your mind, both of you, that the governor will sign this bill? He said he would be indicating toward open carry when he was asked, but uh, any doubt that he's going to sign this? No, from my end, no. Uh, I believe he's going to sign it once he gets it, and it'll become law. Jason, you agree, right? I do. Okay, so that sets up our conversation. We can talk about it almost as if it's kind of a done deal, because I think the practical effects of this bill is really what people want to hear about. So the components of the bill really are twofold. One is school safety. There's a lot of money for school safety in that bill. And the permitless carry, which um, Representative Fine, when he was here, said, listen, criminals open carry right now. So, Jason, what do you think the practical effects of open carry will be, really? Um, I'm well, sorry, I, I I'm, I'm misspeaking. Permitless per, carry, not open carry. Per, permitless carry. I, I don't think there's going to be a, a great a proliferation of, of crime uh, because of uh, permitless carry. I think there's going to be a great proliferation of, of mass incidents of idiocy, and, I, and I've said this consistently since the beginning of session when we knew it was coming. This isn't about, you know, uh, a, a concern over additional mass shootings. Um, it, again, it's just about how, however rather innocuous or de minimis the Republicans believe that training and certification is to get a concealed weapons permit. I have one. My 75-year-old mother has one. Happy birthday, Mom, today. Happy birthday, uh, Mom. It's just about, it's just about you know, uh, incidents that are going to be, uh, they're, they're going to proliferate throughout the state. That's my, that's my concern. But, you know, neither side is happy with it, so we, we know it's political in nature, and it, it's certainly not what, what the right wanted here. So, Alex, that is, we have literally talked about permitless carry for five consecutive weeks on this program. We've, we've hashed out every portion of that bill. And, and continuously, we hear that the training is really what worries people, taking out what is really the only thing that mandates some sort of training. Well, what would have been wrong with accepting one of the amendments that adds training to carrying a weapon? 
Uh, I wouldn't say necessarily there's anything wrong. There, there's nothing wrong necessarily with requiring training. But what I can tell you is I have a concealed carry permit. Um, I got that. I got that concealed carry permit by showing my hunter safety course, right, to qualify to to have a hunting license in Florida. That hunter safety course was was taught by the the father of a Boy Scout. If you thought that the 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 firearms training um, in that circumstance was sufficient to make anybody comfortable, I have news for you, it wasn't. Um, but at the same time, um, the bill does allocate money to FDLE to to promote law enforcement optional trainings for people who want to who want to take it. So wouldn't that though sort of indicate a a what would be a good idea to use this bill to beef up training requirements? Well, the question is whether or not it's required or made available, right? We're, we're providing funding in the bill to FDLE to provide training to folks who may want to carry and don't feel comfortable carrying a firearm. Um, law-abiding citizens, uh, while, while Senator Pizzo might think we're going to see some, some examples of, of idiocy, I think law-abiding citizens, before they make the step of being comfortable carrying a firearm like that, would seek out that training. Um, you know, this whole bill was designed to make sure that law-abiding citizens weren't restricted in some some attempt at security theater, which I really believe the laminated card of my wallet really is it only stands for the security theater that we we've had in place for several years. So let's talk about some of the exceptions in the bill where permitless carry will still not be permitted, and things like schools and school functions, police departments, uh, jails, even government meetings like yours, like you've been doing this week, and Jason has floated an amendment that was shot down that would open government meetings to one of the places where people could carry their weapons. Um, Jason, that was kind of a poke the bear amendment on your part, I'm guessing. I don't, I'm, I'm guessing that's not something that you would favor, but, but what, what did you think when that didn't fly? Well, Glenn, this is, you know, I've had a few amendments over the, over the last few years that I knew my Republican colleagues thought were really good ideas, but they become inflexible by the time it gets to the grand stage inside the Senate chamber or the House chamber. And, and really, it wasn't just to poke and it wasn't to be flippant and just cheeky. Uh, I filed it because if, if you're going to objectively have any bit of expansion of, of carrying of firearms, at the very least, we should be consistent and not be hypocritical and allow it for the, the chamber where we meet and the committee meeting uh, uh, all, you know, areas where we meet. So, you know, it's, we're, we're expanding, you know, further gun possession by, by Floridians, but we're still not okay with them having a gun where we meet, which is, which is not okay. And, and I've said consistently, my wife and kids can be in a public now with somebody who has a gun, who has no idea where the safety is, how to load it, one's in the chamber, but, but we're not okay with those same people being inside of our Senate chamber or the House chamber or committee meetings, it's, it's hypocritical. Alex, would you weigh in on that? Yeah, sure. Um, I'd be perfectly fine um, allowing the concealed carry by law-abiding citizens of firearms pretty much anywhere. I mean, we, we have data that shows that, um, you know, schools that have allowed, you know, teachers and, and administrators to, to carry concealed and have their own security apparatuses have not had a school shooting. Um, I, I believe that uh, an armed society is a more civil society. Um, but at, at the same time, like I wasn't on the Senate floor to discuss that one. We had a similar one. Um, a similar amendment proposed on the House side. Um, it was similarly struck down. The focus, um, not just of the training, but also the school safety funding of the bill was simply to do away with the laminated card in my wallet, right? It was, it, it was addressed solely to say, this is a bit of security theater that has protected no one in Florida. 
Um, if we want to have a, a more robust discussion about where guns shouldn't shouldn't be allowed, we can take that up in a different bill. But Glenn, I believe that the house the house version uh, language took out took out the restriction on carrying guns into pharmacies. So if we can get into the restrictive list of where guns can no longer be carried, we took out pharmacies. We made that provision. So the focus was just on school safety, a wonderful canine program as well, and then permitless carry. Why did they go to the great lengths to take out pharmacies as one of the exclusionary zones and, and, and not where we meet as a chamber in what I call the laboratory of democracy? That seems inconsistent. You know, bars is on the exclusion list. Uh, establishments that serve alcohol, which I thought was really interesting. Real quickly, I want to put up a little graphic of your colleagues, uh, State Representative Vicky Lopez on the right, State Senator Ileana Garcia on the left. These are two Republican women who vote very Republican-oriented all the time, and yet they both, in their respective chambers, voted no on permitless carry. Both the senator and the rep uh, represent Miami. And Jason, I know, well, I know both of you know both of them, and I'd, I'd like you to weigh in on, maybe let's start with Alex from Pensacola. Are the rules just different in Miami? Is this just a different planet to you? What, what do you think about your colleagues voting no on this? Well, uh, no, one, I grew up in South Florida. I have a 954 area code cell phone number. Um, my dad had a, a factory in Opelika. Down Keep in it, because it's going away. <laughs> um, I joke about needing a passport to go to Miami when I fly down, but um, no, I, you have uh, Republican, the Republican Party's not a monolith. You know, some people can still disagree. Intelligent, intelligent people across the aisle can still disagree. Um, I, I don't I don't judge or disagree with anyone wanting to take a vote based on their personal beliefs. So, um, you know, I know it's probably tough for them. And, you know, uh, while I disagree with their vote, you know, it's uh, more power to them for taking that vote. You know, we are up against a break. I really when we come back, I really want to talk about the uh, education bill that advanced this week, too. So please do sit tight and we will be back in two minutes. State Senator Jason Pizzo from Northeast Dade and Broward and State Rep Alex Andrade from Pensacola and the Panhandle talking about the big bills of the week. One that's advancing past the House on the way to the last Senate committee is the big education bill that expands on the parental rights bill from last session. Opponents are calling this one Don't Say Gay 2.0. We are not calling it that. But that's what some people see it is, and I think that's a very important part of this discussion. Okay, just the, the headlines of this to get into for viewers. What this does is take such a sex education guidelines right through eighth grade. It puts a process in for challenging books, and it also bans teachers from asking about pronouns. With that lengthy uh, explanation, Senator Pizzo, Jason, the staff analysis on this says, it increases transparency in district instruction and materials and also empowers parents' rights and control. What's wrong with that? Uh, there's there's nothing on its surface that, that's wrong with that. It's, it's an application and it's sing, it's the singling out of, of particular groups. Uh, what is what has long been the theme, it's the worst kept secret in Tallahassee. And listen, my colleague in the House, uh, Representative Andrade, is a, a fairly level-headed dude. So uh, I think we're, we can agree on, on a number of issues that, that are, are problems. but. We went into the school year with a teacher shortage of 9,000 uh, teachers. It wasn't because of pronouns, okay? Um, and so on its face, it seems okay. You'll recall last year when we had a 1,312-word bill, uh, but with two terms, sexual orientation and gender identity on line 92, and I had simply asked, what do these terms mean? 
uh, and I couldn't get a straight answer even on the floor. Senator Brand has proposed an amendment that said, let's just not talk about sex at all. Not same sex, not opposite sex, not, uh, let's just not talk about it. I don't want you talking to my kindergartner to third grader about sex at all. Uh, but, but refusing to take that very ecumenical uh, approach uh, and singling out and targeting and singling out uh, is by itself just, you know, it's part of this culture war stuff that has nothing to do with the underlying issues that we have in education. You know, when, when you read the actual wording of the bill, th this one's a bit more specific than last year. But Alex, mm -hmm. there are, for, let me just put up um, video-wise, there is this huge protest right there in the rotunda when the House was voting on this. I don't even know if you hear them. Well, this we're looking at video from the outside, now on the inside. That's pretty loud. I don't know if you heard them, but here are people who are genuinely afraid of, if not the actual practical wording of the bill, then the chilling effect that it might have on education. Is that, is that sort of what you all are going for? Do you think that that, that needs, the speech needs to be chilled a little bit? Uh, no, um, I, I think one of the main things in the bill is, is you know, uh, making sure that as a condition of employment, someone doesn't, someone can't be fired for for accidentally misgendering somebody who wants to be called by a different gender. I think um, ever since COVID, we've seen this kind of large mass movement of parents wanting to get more engaged in their children's education. Once dis once they discovered, you know, some of the things that were being discussed in the classroom, um, you know, there's been a lot of emphasis on on uh, you know redefining the term book ban. Um, there are no books that are banned in the state of Florida. Um, some school districts, uh, the largest Duval, I believe, has has removed 19 books total. Um, you know, from the list of books that are available in school libraries, based on things like, you know, uh, uh, you know, pornographic imagery and discussions and advice on, on uh, you know, on how to engage in certain sex acts. I mean, um, there's been an, uh, an exaggeration of what that means. Um, but ultimately, the the bills the bills for us to make sure that no one can get fired for accidentally misgendering somebody, uh, no one can be required um, to engage in certain types of speech, um, and that you know administrators in positions of power over students aren't able to try and enforce their own personal worldview uh, on kids. Um, Jason, you know, and, and that, um, I, I'd like you know where, the, those points that was, you've made. I, yeah. I'd like to hear Jason weigh in on that, if you would. If if not, or or but for. The trajectory of, of where the governor wants to go, disassociating himself from Florida, insofar as it do, just doesn't control the legislature for his own agenda from the same conservative playbook. Where the hell have the Republicans been for the last 26 years that they've had control of, of the House and the Senate and, and, and the cabinet? I mean, this is all of a sudden, these books were just put in here during COVID. Like while everyone was out of school for a couple months, they slipped them into the library. This is all now coming up because it's all part of the same playbook. And in each of these states that are raising these issues, whether it's attacking transgender kids, whether it's going after CRT and woke, things I never heard of before Republicans raised them. Uh, you know, all of these things are now just bubbling up in a number of states with a number of potential prospective, you know, presumptive candidates. Where the hell have the Republicans been for the last two decades in, in school libraries? This is the first time that they started paying attention? So I, I think, um, Alex, I, I would love for, to hear from you on that, but, but I think parents' rights, you know, from, from my perch, parents' rights really has been the title and the headline that Republicans have put on this, and, and indeed parents have been way more involved, um, which is never a bad thing, 
unless you consider that one parent anywhere in Florida can hang up a book with a complaint for, in the process that's outlined, almost a month, even if the book gets put back on the shelf. Alex, can you address, you know, p parents' involvement in education is the key indicator of success, by all accounts. But all students don't come from that kind of home, and all parents mm -hmm may not agree with the majority of parents, but yet have now this outsized power. Is that problematic at all? Uh, from my perspective, no. Um, you know, a, a lot of these policies, they, they have to remain viewpoint neutral. Um, you know, last year when we were discussing the, the original Parents' Rights and Education Act bill, I asked an advocate from Equality Florida if the bill could just as easily be titled Don't Say Straight. You know, the, the viewpoint neutrality of this is constantly missed because it's Republicans that, that are moving this policy through the legislature. Um, but at the same time, the, the irony of Friday in the House when we passed this bill was that two bills later, um, we had a Democrat bring a bill about um, lactation spaces in courtrooms and not a single Democrat um, you know, mentioned the fact that it can't just be women in their worldview um, using these lactation spaces. They, they were all very comfortable suddenly talking about, um, you know, this is a bill for women. Um, these lactations, this, these lactation spaces in courthouses. Well, isn't that because um, men don't lactate? <laughs> well, you say that, but I've been corrected before. I've been told that men can get pregnant before um, by my okay. Democrat colleague. I'm a Democrat. I'm a prominent Democrat in the, in, the, in the state Senate. Men cannot lactate. I don't care what Greg Fokker says. All right. So you know what? There's nine <laughs> seconds left, and I think this is a perfect time to just thank you both <laughs> so, so much for being with us. Men and lactation can be a whole different segment. I promise you both we'll be back if we ever get there. Alex Andrade Thanks, in Pensacola, Jason Pizzo down here with us in South Florida. Great to see you both. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Bonnie. All right. Okay, so up next, a seat at the table, times four for some important perspective. Next Gen weighs in when we come back. regularly you know we are kind of an open tent we like to make sure that all South Florida voices and perspectives have a seat at this table in this case we're standing that includes the youngest among us who are often most affected by the news and the issues of the week and so today we have four people all from Broward's young Republicans and we're gonna get to that in a second why we've invited you here but um, David Megan Garrett and Adeze are here with us today to talk about, I, I just told them that we're kind of like the dinner party talking about issues of the day. And it's really important today to point out that you all are um, in a party, the youngest members of a party that's a super majority in the state, but not in, not in Broward, where you're from. Democratic, uh, Broward is the most democratic of all Florida counties. And so let's start, Adeze, let's start with you. Let's, we'll right. go a little like all around right. the table there. <laughs> You, um, you're in a county where you kind of the minority party, That's yet right. watching all of these bills be passed, do you feel like, g give me the perspective of, of a, a Broward Republican, young Broward Republican. Yeah, um, so to your point, Glenna, yes, uh, Broward is pretty heavily Democrat. Our voices definitely aren't the majority, but I really do feel a sense of encouragement when I see the legislation that, that's happening at the state level. I do think that our, you know, our governor does have our best interests at heart, and I think that, you know, we're really interested in really spreading our message and just showing kind of like the positives, the good, 
you know, components of conservative values and how they can help all Floridians, including those here in Broward. You, you've practiced this speech before, <laughs> have you not? <laughs> all right, Garrett, so we're, you've, you heard what we were talking about with the senator and the rep, yes, right? Yes, we did. Yes. Okay, so right now, permitless carry, Garrett, is on mm -hmm. the way to the governor. Everyone presumes he's going to be signing it. Um, you heard the arguments for and against. Yes. Are you for it because of your party? I'm, I'm just sort of taking that leap of faith. That's a great question. I welcome it. Thank you very much for asking me that. And Glenda, if you wouldn't mind, if we could have a brief moment of silence just for the recent school shooting. Thank you for that Thank moment. I appreciate that. Absolutely. So I welcome that question. As I said, I do support having a gun. I myself am a gun owner. Permitless carry. Permitless carry, I support it. Because? Well, not many things are changing as a result of it. Granted, there are some things that change, but everybody reserves the right to have the gun. So it's a constitutional issue for you? I'd say, yes, I agree with that. Megan, you, um, you know, your, your cohort are the closest to school shootings. I never had a shooting when I was in school that, right. that was that close to. Does, does that play into your perspective when you hear that there will be people who are now able to have guns, not everywhere, mm -hmm. but in Publix when you go shopping? Um, personally, I, I, I've done a lot of research into the gun legislation um, that was passed in the wake of Stoneman Douglas, as well as this bill. Um, I personally feel very comfortable with it. Nothing that was passed after Stoneman Douglas is going away. So you still have to be 21 to purchase. You still have a three-day waiting period. Nothing changes with purchasing. Right, that. exactly. And so the only thing that's really going away is this additional certification that's required for a concealed carry. Open carry is not a part of this bill. Um, and so you're still going through all the background checks that are required. Um, I think so it's I, a, I it's a, comfortable. I think it's a matter of the, the arguments that I've heard, and, and you know, we here have no horse in the race. We just open the door and try to get to the facts and, of sure. everything. Um, what I heard the argument, mo the, to your point, most of the argument is about training, but there's also, um, David, an argument about more guns on the street. And the people carrying them are fine if they're responsible gun owners, but more guns on the street, opponents think, will be more opportunities for people who don't have best interests in mind to get those guns. Is that something that you think about? No, I don't. Um, I think that's something we can't really control. And before I say that, uh, definitely thank you so much for having us on the show. Um, that's something that we can't really control if a person decides to use their gun to do, you know, something negatively. But, um, and I don't think it's going to have a, uh, you know, I sleep well at night knowing that, you know, if someone does have a gun lawfully or not, but um, it's not something I have an issue with. I, I want to talk about that. And, and please answer him if you'd like, <laughs> because more guns on the street in the 25 states that do have permitless carry mm -hmm. right now, in some of those states, statistically, crime has gone up. Not all crime, but gun crime has gone up. And those are just facts and statistics. So to speak to your point, um, yeah, actually, fun fact, uh, Florida, once this gets signed into law, will make the majority of the states in the country uh, actually have some sort of constitutional carry mm -hmm. bill. Um, the reality is if somebody is, in my opinion, willing to conceal carry in public, they're comfortable using their firearm, they've gone out of their way to get safety training. Um, I do like the caveat in this bill that allows for more funding. And given that most sheriffs in the state of Florida actually support this bill, I'm hopeful that they'll partner with the governor's office to go out and put on you know, community 
um, safety and firearms training courses. And, and Daisy, take us out to the break. <laughs> the sheriff she's talking about, a large yes. contingent of Florida sheriffs, do support this bill. Uh, Miami-Dade and Broward's lead person, uh, Sheriff Tony and Broward and Freddie Ramirez and Miami-Dade, have not weighed in on this. What does yeah. that say to you? Um, I mean, I think it's a really contentious issue, right? Because there are two sides to it. There's, you know, I think we believe that more lawful gun owners on the streets help prevent tra tragedies. But there is, you know, the risk of more unlawful guns on the street and that increasing violence. Um, I definitely do, you know, I actually am a gun owner as well. I'm part of an amazing phenomenal group called A Girl and a Gun. And literally all of us, you know, we're there every, at least once a month, you know, feeling comfortable using our gun, loading, learning how to holster it, learning how to conceal it. None of us are going out with our guns unless we feel completely comfortable handling it. And I think that really is the case for most gun owners. And I think that I would feel more comfortable knowing that these people were out with guns to protect ourselves and protect our children, so. You are a role model on that. All right, sit tight. We have a lot more to talk about when we come back. Gotta take a quick break, so be right back. Thank you. about champagne in the break you're already in the group okay <laughs> Daisy Garrett Megan and David are here from Broward Young Republicans talking about sort of the news of the week one of which we talked about with the rep and the senator the new education bill advancing uh, past the house advancing to the Senate David I want to start with you on that you saw the huge protests mainly from people who when I listen to them I hear they feel like in this bill between the pronouns and the books that can be protested they're being erased how do you hear that? I definitely understand uh, why or why they may feel that specific way, and they should. They have a right to feel that way about it. Um, but um, I, I believe when it comes to that topic in particular, I'm definitely still learning about it, and I feel like the person has whoever. I, I definitely feel like the parents play a good role in that as well, too, in terms of what the kid is, I guess, taught at school and things like that. But I'm sure uh, my friend Megan will be able to speak more <laughs> on that than me, but well, that's, that's my a, take on it. You know, good point that parents' rights really are sure. at the center of this bill. You know, truthfully, I'm sure you all, like I, know children who might not have such involved parents. Sure. But, um, but weigh in, Megan, yeah, if you um, would. My hope with this is that it will prompt more parents to get involved because you're right. Um, I think my entire generation uh, is where it sort of ended with parents being really involved. Um, the way it is, kindergarten to third grade, realistically, I, I just don't think sexuality in general should well, be Well, there discussed. was no curriculum. I think there were certain sure. books in the library that people had issues sure. with, but, but as far as the first bill last year, mm -hmm. the parents' rights bill said no curriculum in K-3 to about sex right. and gender identity. Right. Th there actually was none in the state to oh, begin good with. To know. So maybe that was a preemptive strike, right. but, but at that point well, it's not. Yeah. But, but in K-8 to there certainly is, uh, and that's what bi this bill sure. addresses. Sure, I actually did not. To school. I'm from Nebraska, so I did not go to school in Florida. I know Adeze yes. did, and she had a yeah. really good. Yeah, flight. I did. Um, and so I didn't know that there wasn't currently a sex education happening in K through to three, but I know that when I was a student, I went to Broward County Public Schools that it was first introduced in third grade, and before it was even uh, presented to any child, you had to go home with a form to your parents, and they'd sign if you were able to receive that. They'd pull you out of class, and you'd go into a special room to discuss that, and it was completely just focused on puberty, you know, during that time period. I think it's great. I think parents should be informed if their kids are learning about anything sexual in nature, and it should be age appropriate, as I said. In third grade, it was just the changes that your body is going through and nothing else. And, so. and what did you think? 
think about that? Do you remember? Well, I remember that my mom uh, opted for me not to do it. Oh, is that <laughs> actually, right? And she had the right to do that. And on her own, she educated me with some books that she'd received from the library. So, so Garrett, when um, you know we're, we're all friends here, we can talk openly. Absolutely. Do you? What's your experience with sex education? Because I will tell you, I was a student. I am a parent. To me, sex education is science. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people don't feel that way. What's your Absolutely. experience? Growing up for me, I come from Brooklyn. I went to a private school in Brooklyn. We were given sex education, health science class. Uh, parents were very involved with knowing what was going on in that school. It was a small school. Now, I'm a new father. And Glenna, I love my son. I want more than nothing to be very involved in his life. I want to have the opportunity to guide my son to the man that he wants to be, but hey, as well as how are you my guidance. Do that? Have you well, thought about it? Absolutely. My plan before everything within the world is taking place, you know, before I ever had a child, was to come with experience, teach him off of my, not failures, but maybe mistakes in life, my couple of scrapes and bruises, and show him, hey, try things. It's okay to fail, but, you know, make your own person. And I respect you, I honor you for what you want to be. So, I, it, who among you thinks sex education is health and science? Yes, I think it's completely uh, necessary, I would say. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, okay. And I do think that it is good to teach that in school, uh, but um, in school, because uh, obviously most kids may not get it, or I would say just some kids may not get that, uh, get taught that um, at home. So it's, it is okay, but it only becomes, it becomes an issue when they start talking about literal sex to kids when they need to be learning more about education. And they can get to maybe get taught that at a, at a later age, but not, it's, sure. I don't think it's as important for them growing up. I just don't think that's, uh, they're learning, you know, ABCs and mm -hmm. one, two, threes, and then where, yeah. where do we jump to sex? Yeah. You know? I say right. keep it scientific. I yes. Keep it scientific as well. I don't even, as I said, you know, elementary school, middle school is sort of just like, these are the changes going on in you. Mm -hmm. And then high school was when it was more so, right. just like the biological role of, you know, of sex, but it wasn't, you're not going into the mechanics of it. You're not going, you know, all of that is, I don't think is appropriate in the school. Right. Keep it like right. in, a, in a health sense. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. exactly. Absolutely. Okay, well, I'm glad we're all in agreement for once. Listen, this is so much fun to have people here who are living what these laws are doing and I hope you'll keep in touch with us and I hope you'll you watch the program Daisy Garrett Megan David thank you so much for getting dressed thank up you, and thank you for having us we'll be back yes, I promise yes. we look forward to it thank you <laughs> all right up next it is complicated we are watching democracy in real time on the streets of Israel's cities and the direct effects in South Florida. A convo with the Consul General is next. watching the messy process of democracy in action in the only democratic nation in the Middle East. Israel's political process is, well, it's complicated, and it comes with context that is not always obvious. Israel's news is very much local news here in South Florida, where the connections are deep and strong on so many levels. Israel's Consul General to Florida is Maor Albaz Starinsky, and he is here to help us understand the history in progress. Mr. Consul General, it is so nice to see you. Thanks for being with us. Thank you very much for having me, Glenna. Nice so, to be here. 
We are watching all of this, um, what looks to be chaos, and sometimes we see all of these loud protests and people taking selfies and singing and celebrating as well. Um, people have called it intense. People have called it democracy on the line in Israel. Please do put into context for us what we are watching. Well, I wouldn't call it, call it chaos, and I wouldn't call it uh, democracy on the line. I would call it a textbook of democracy, rather. By the way, not only in the Middle East, but maybe even in the world. Hundreds of thousands uh, of people are going out on the streets and are protesting against what they uh, look at uh, as jeopardizing uh, their, their rights. While we have, of course, an elected government that uh, tries to uh, execute and legislate the things that they uh, were elected to execute and to uh, not to govern at the end of the day. Uh, but I don't think it's chaos. Uh, actually, it is uh, even a source of pride to see hundreds of people uh, of, of Israelis on the street with Israeli flags, but you see no violence, you see no chaos, you see no vandalism, but rather them having the right uh, to express their will. And, and, and listen, we, we saw in, in the last week that the government is listening and now are having all kinds of negotiations to maybe find a compromise that at the end of the day will uh, uh, get these people what uh, at least some of what they want. Because at the end of the day, it is a democracy and uh, the government was elected to, uh, to govern. And that's actually what I wanted to speak about next, because a lot of people don't really understand how, you know, here we have Democrat Republicans and a few other parties, but generally speaking, it is a two-party country. Um, there, it's a coalition, and the government of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is very much um, a, a government of allies with other parties. and. And the parties that are not in power is also part of the coalition of debate in the Congress, in the Knesset. So when the prime minister came out and decided to put on hold these reforms that have become so controversial with many people, um, what he said was he was putting this on pause out of a sense of national responsibility to prevent rupture, to give time to reach consensus. What do you think that consensus might look like after the holidays next month? What do you forecast will be different next month than it is now? Well, I'll be, I need to be very, very cautious of here. First of all, I, I think maybe uh, uh, people need to understand, even though as complicated as, as it may, may sound and maybe as it is, uh, parliamentary uh, democracy works a little bit different than, uh, uh, than the, the system that you have over here uh, in the U.S. And, and, and you have your challenges uh, as well. But in the end of the day, when, when the prime minister, any prime minister, is uh, trying to have a, a position, uh, then he's trying to, to bring to get, to, together the sums of their uh, wishes, uh, the sums of their uh, promises uh, during, during the campaign, and then, and then execute it while they, while they uh, govern it. Of course, now, even though there is some kind of a homogeneous uh, uh, coalition, uh, the opposition for the people is very, very strong. And this is something that the, the prime minister, or rather the whole government, is very, very minded uh, of. And that's why they decided, the prime minister decided, decided to put it uh, on pause. Uh, there are a few things that are yet to be uh, sorted out. I think it would be a little bit uh, jumping the gun to, to, to try to guess how this compromise 
uh, is going to look like, but uh, certainly uh, the people on the street, even yesterday, are still uh, people are still on the street uh, uh, trying to make sure that uh, their rights, their their freedom, their human rights uh, are not uh, jeopardized, are not uh, compromised. And I'm sure the Prime Minister, Prime Minister Netanyahu, uh, has been in power for, for, for quite some time. He knows democracy. He knows governing. He knows the people. And I'm sure that in the end of the day, uh, the solution that will be fine will reflect uh, the true essence of, of what is the, the Jewish people, the people of Israel and the state of Israel, which is true, vibrant, uh, and strong democracy. So the issue, to your point, was what seems to be the biggest issue in this protest is a redoing of how the judiciary is chosen and given what sounds to be a bit more or a lot more power over the judiciary to what is the Congress, the Knesset there. Um, we watched this this massive uh, gathering in the streets. What, what was less in the news was a protest this weekend of people who very much support uh, that plan and a redoing of the judiciary. Who were those people? Well, people who support the, the government. The, in a democracy, uh, everybody has the right to demonstrate, everybody has the right to express their, their will or, or, or the wishes. And after a few weeks, uh, during which we saw only those who opposed the, uh, uh, what the government called the judiciary reform, uh, we saw people, uh, civilians, who support this, uh, this, this reform rally again, uh, rally together and come out to the street and protest for what they think should be done, which is, which is the reform. So we see uh, two, two, two groups or many groups that are decided, uh, divided into, uh, uh, into two sides, and each one is trying to uh, have the uh, into, to influence their, their elected uh, official, the public opinion, the, the media, that uh, uh, their stand or their view or their position should be should be also taken into consideration. And and our elected officials listen, they hear, they they see what's going on on, on the street, and they do take it uh, into consideration. But that's uh, that's what they came for uh, to the president's residence to seek a compromise that will uh, have uh, both sides, or all sides rather, because there are a few sides, uh, uh, the feeling that they are part of this process and that they are part of this compromise or solution. So you have so much to celebrate next month, um, not the least of it is the 75th anniversary of the independence of the state of Israel, a uh, historic moment. We actually, as you know, we will be there for that and we'll, we will see you there and celebrate with you. Uh, Consul General Mayor Elbaz Storinsky, it is so nice to see you. And next time you're back, I hope you'll be sitting right here in person in the studio with us. I hope so too. And I wish you a, a safe and good trip and go celebrate with us because this is really a remarkable moment not only in the in the history of the of the Jewish people but I would even say of the world celebrating Israel's uh, 75th anniversary absolutely thank you very much thank you very much Bye -bye. and we will be right back
today's interviews or listen to the This Week in South Florida podcast. Just scan this QR code with your phone and it will take you right to the This Week in South Florida section of local10.com. We are online 24-7 and you can connect to us so easily. Here's my social media. Follow, reach out at Glenna WPLG on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We will see you from New York beginning tomorrow for our Local 10 coverage of the historic arraignment of former President Donald Trump. We thank you so much for being here with us at this hour. And remember, as always, keep in touch.